You can support the Double Loop Podcast by contributing at patreon.com slash double loop podcast. Thank you to our supporters, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. Hey, Glenn, what do you call a Vietnamese soup with imitation ingredients? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, close. How about a faux pho? Ah, okay. <laughs> Good one, Eric. Thank you. I made that one up myself. Oh, um, that, that's why it's extra bad. Right. <laughs> So, Glenn, what do we have to start off with today? Well, uh, I just wanted to read a quick email. Uh, we actually had a really nice email, so a quick shout-out uh, to Ava. Uh, Ava is in New Zealand. And actually, I, I met Ava when I was in Auckland for a conference, and she wrote a very long email about um, spending some time. She she was um, the, a woman that drove uh, me and ETL around in Auckland and the countryside and a couple other people. And uh, she was just relating about uh, how she was listening to uh, ETL and I go back and forth very vigorously talking about cognitive bias. I probably said it was BS and he got very upset. No, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, error rates and likelihood ratios. And she was still uh, you know, in training or you know, just starting her training and was really just learning this and listening and uh, was just talking about how, um, how it imprinted on her. But then you know, she gets into... Uh, a very nice part of her email that says, uh, since then I've been binge listening to the Double Loop podcast, which thankfully pointed me to exploring and acquiring some very interesting knowledge. And then, you know, I try to absorb a lot of this. I'm not sure that other people in my agency are as interested in talking about the episodes or, you know, sharing this, but uh, I continue to listen to it and I, I, um, um, I, I just want you to know that your podcasts have changed my perception on things in relation to fingerprint evidence in a very good way. And I hope that uh, you will continue uh, to do this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Glenn. And please pass on my appreciation to Eric. Your podcasts have opened my mind and I have been um, <laughs> just uh, overwhelmed with all the things that you guys ha have talked about. And um, she continues to gush for several more paragraphs, uh, which is very flattering. And um, I, I just thought it was really nice. And I just wanted her to know, thank you. That it's a really nice sentiment uh, going out to Ava in Auckland and uh, New Zealand. And, uh, well, th these Kiwis, they're, they're, they're so nice. And, uh, well, it's, it's nice to hear uh, such positive feedback from listeners knowing that we make their day yeah. and that we give them lots of good information for them to go back to and, and learn about. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, thank you, Ava. Uh, like we talked about last time, maybe that's, that's you know, um, you know, the moment of zen for, for all those examiners so that they, they, uh, they can clear their mind and, uh, and, and reset and refocus. Uh, what was, the, what was the, the technique? Mindfulness. mindfulness. Uh, maybe that's, hopefully this is our moment of mindfulness. Uh, no, that's really great to hear. Uh, thank you, Ava, for for you know passing that all along. You and, know, it was uh, it was the the Daily Show that used to have. Uh, here's your moment of Zen. Oh, your moment of Zen. There you go. I always I always like that. It was always such a nice sign off. Here's your moment of Zen. Yeah. So uh, thanks again, and uh, yeah, as long as everybody keeps listening, we'll uh, we'll keep making them. And uh, it just sounds like uh, you know we're just reaching more and more uh, examiners and. And uh, that's that really is a great feeling. So yeah, absolutely uh, around the world. So uh, Eric, today we have a guest with us. I'll introduce you in yes. a second. But um, if listeners might recall, a couple episodes back we had uh, Doctor uh, Nicola um, Osborne on, and uh, or as they call her in, in uh, New Zealand, Niki. We had Niki on, and from the block, uh, from the block Niki from the block. And she was on, and she had recommended uh, that we speak to uh, Teresa Stotesbury. And so today we're going to have a guest, uh, Teresa, on here. And uh, uh, Nikki had um, 
told me a little bit about her research when I was hanging out with her, and I was pretty fascinated by it. One of the things in my background is bloodstain pattern analysis, and uh, in fact, I, I, I really enjoy it. I, there's a part of me that wishes I, I was doing it more often and could still get involved. I think if I went, if I ever went totally private, I would definitely get back into that because I do find some really fascinating cases. And so right. um, some of some of uh, the stuff that we're going to be able to get into today uh, deals with that uh, because Teresa uh, was involved in developing some pretty cool stuff that she's going to talk about. So I'd like to welcome Teresa Stotesbury. She's at uh, Trent University, which is in Peters, Petersboro, Ontario. And where did you say that was, Eric, in relationship to uh, Toronto? A bit northeast of there, not quite halfway from Toronto towards Ottawa. Is that right, Teresa? You bet. All right. Well, all right. Well, Halfway let's welcome Teresa. Toronto and Ottawa. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Yeah, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. This is really exciting. <laughs> well, <laughs> we are... We are very excited to have you, and and uh, Nikki just talked up your research so much. She said such great things, so I'm very excited for the listeners to hear about it. And I know it's not traditionally a fingerprint thing, but occasionally fingerprint examiners do get involved in a little bit of um, blood uh, blood patterns in the sense that bloody fingerprint impressions are bloody transfers. So they they really should, in my opinion, know something about the mechanics of blood and blood transfer yeah. because it does relate when it comes to distortional issues and interpreting bloody friction ridge impressions. So it's good for them to get a little bit of exposure to something slightly outside the fingerprint realm. So welcome, Teresa. And uh, it, so Teresa, I, you, I'm not sure if Glenn saw it, but earlier today, like one of the last emails as we were kind of arranging things, uh, you sent a, a photo or a, a scan of uh, your own bloody fingerprint of a double loop whirl. Like how perfect was that, guys? Exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was quite interesting. I had um, I had this month of mayhem where I was on the road at various conferences, <laughs> and you know how it is, trade shows and and everything in between, and. I'd, I was scanning my emails and I got a, an email from a forensic podiatrist from somewhere in the UK and she was asking me, oh, can you make impressions with uh, your fake blood? And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And I got thinking I had a day in the lab about impression evidence and, we, and um, you know, what we could do with the, the synthetic. And I was looking at my fingerprints and I was like, oh, well, I definitely have a double loop here. This is kind of perfect. <laughs> So I, I uh, had some fun in the lab and made some uh, fingerprints for you guys. Yeah, the, 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 the images were very cool. So in your introduction there, you um, tipped your hand a little bit. So let's, let's discuss, uh, let's jump to your research. And what, what was it that Nikki said that I should be talking to you about and you should share with our listeners? Why don't you tell us, uh, tell listeners about what you developed? All right. So... Uh, I make fake blood or artificial blood, I guess we call it forensic blood substitutes, synthetic blood substitutes, tomato, tomato, you may have heard it in some sort of capacity uh, in the forensic world. But uh, what I like to call it are forensic blood substitutes because we make fake blood that you can't put into your body. And uh, we make them for uh, the purposes of research and training and crime scene reconstruction. That is pretty cool. What can we, I mean, without you know, getting to proprietary stuff, um, what are we talking about? What's it sort of made out of? Yeah, no, that's fine. So the material is, it is proprietary um, or trade secret, we call it. But nice. um, the basics, yeah, the basics of the uh, chemistry is it's a silicon sole gel material, which is basically just how I like to describe it as a polymer that forms a liquid glass. Mm -hmm. So you can make um, stains or any sort of blood stains and eventually um, the stains will dry and form a thin film on some sort of substrate um, and make produce kind of the patterns that you, I guess, want uh, to use for your research or your training uh, or any sort of course material. Okay, so Interesting. I have tons of questions for you. Uh, let's start with the uh, <laughs> let's, let's start with the first one related to it. Um, obviously, uh, anyone who knows anything about blood, as it follows these non-Newtonian mechanics and very very specific mechanics and fluid dynamics that blood has. I assume that somehow you're able to mirror that in some way. 
Yes, actually, I, I spent the majority of my PhD looking at the fluid mechanics of blood and uh, making artificial fluids that do the same thing. So blood is a non-Newtonian fluid, meaning, and it's uh, more specifically a shear thinning fluid, which means that the mm. more shear force and the more force that you kind of push onto blood, the, the, its viscosity decreases with the more force that you push onto it. So it's you quite explain unique. You really well. Oh, thanks. No, I mean, I never hear I never hear people explain it so well. I mean, they they start getting to the physics of what Newtonian and non, but you explain that really, really well. That's fantastic. So, so oh, the well, thank you. The, the the non-Newtonian, you know, usually when I hear that phrase, it's that um, uh, that you know gooey stuff that when you push on it, it it's, uh, it gets you know viscosity gets greater. Um, so, like a uh, cornstarch in water. Uh, I've seen like people work with that, and it seems like when you when you like punch it or push it real hard, it it hardens up and becomes more of a solid at that point. Is it, you're saying blood is like the opposite? Um, right. Okay. Yeah, it, it is the uh, the opposite, and uh, so you can imagine um, blood is a complex fluid, and it's it contains um, lots of different components, like different cell types and uh, different proteins and things right. like that in the blood. And uh, in really sh low shear, like really low force settings, the red blood cells, they actually stack on top of each other. And you get this, this kind of phenomena called a rouleau. And so that, uh, that has a really high resistance to any sort of force that you push on it. So it has a really high viscosity. But then as soon as it, as you give it a, just a little bit more force or more energy, um, the red blood cells will disperse and then start flowing. Um, the viscosity will decrease and then kind of plateau and f flow more Newtonian leg, I guess, where you, you get this like nice little plateau region where the viscosity stays relatively constant. And that's in pretty high shear conditions. So, and I guess in our case, in forensics, in uh, relatively, I guess, um, violent situations. So oh, when you uh, when you were studying the dynamics of it, obviously you're doing you know certain kind of bloodstain pattern you know patterns you're probably creating. I assume you were comparing them to actual blood and probably looking at some of the, the you know the differences. And I assume that they were negligible in some way. Yeah, this is actually it's quite interesting that you say that um, because at our and at Trent and in a lot of universities and even some labs uh, around the world and in Canada, it's really difficult to uh, actually use human blood and whole human blood mm -hmm. in your testing. Right. So we use our kind of analog in Canada is sheep's blood. We get it sourced from um, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. Mm -hmm. um, no sheep were harmed in the process. Really? <laughs> <That's> nice to <laughs> know. That's, yeah, right? That is yeah, surprising. Like, they're like blood donors too, I guess. Um, and such, so we... Such polite uh, Canadians. <laughs> you, you have to. You have to. Um, and anyway, so we uh, we basically collected a lot of the data from the literature on human blood dynamics. Uh, we tested our own with the sheep's blood, and then we started testing the viscosity and the surface tension and the density. So all those kind of physical properties mm -hmm. that are really important in the way blood behaves outside of the body in terms of making blood stain patterns at crime scenes or in the lab. Um, and uh, making sure that it was at least close enough or statistically close enough to, to blood. Uh, do you have like it's within five percent of what you know um you know when 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 this amount of force was applied to blood it went this distance and when it was applied to the synthetic it went you know 95 percent of the same distance or had the same effect or something like that yeah that's a, that's a good question so we uh another interesting thing about uh blood and whole human blood is that uh, those physical properties that I was talking about, they actually yep. change all the time. So they change within ourselves during the day. So depending on what kind of exercise we've had, oh. uh, what's going on in our life. And, you know, maybe you had some drinks the night before, your blood viscosity changes quite. Or right at the um, moment, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right <laughs> I, I am so, drinking a Guinness um, Irish wheat. Oh, jealous. <laughs> Perfect. So, I, um, so is this then the synthetic kind of like a an average of of um, you know different donors? I, I used to work yeah. um, in blood testing, and uh, we would get in the the clot tubes. So 
know, there'd be all the red blood cells at the bottom and then nice, you know, clear yellow serum at the top. But some people's were, you know, blood wasn't like that. Other, <laughs> some people had white opaque uh, serum instead of the nice clear yellow stuff. Um, hmm. Is this then kind of like the average of what most people's blood would do? Yeah, yeah. So we kind of modeled all of our materials based on how, on the average human kind of <laughs> values that we saw. Yeah. And oh, so what? What? Um, let's back up a little bit. And what is your degree? What's your background? In fact, let's go back further. Where are you from? And yeah. uh, where did you go to school? What was your degree based on? And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, it's a lot to answer, but I will try. All right. Well, <laughs> so, where are you from? Um, all right, so I'm uh, I'm from a little town in Ontario. It's called Air. Believe it or not, there is a place called Air, A Y R, and mm -hmm. uh, population of a, maybe a few thousand. Um, and so I grew up there. Uh, and in high school, um, I had no idea, I guess, what I really wanted to take. I knew I really liked the sciences and maths. Um, and the classic day before the university applications were due. Uh, I had to pick and I do fall within the majority of I just stumbled across forensics <laughs> like, like <laughs> the majority of your all right so you've listened to other podcasts before good to know yes <laughs> of course <laughs> um, and I took forensics I actually I did my undergrad at Trent University too there's not many schools in Canada that offer programs in forensics yeah you know if so, I if uh, I could mention that um I've had a little bit of experience there because there was this moment where a colleague of mine and I, we almost went to go teach a semester at Laurentian every year. They were developing their program up there. I'm sure you're familiar with Laurentian, but, uh, you know, Trent was one of the other possible universities in the area, but it was Laurentian that was trying to bring in uh, me and a colleague to talk about forensics because they're going to also be teaching a local or professional, a professional um, forensic examiners as well. They're trying to do this university program for current professionals there. But you're right, at, at least in Ontario, uh, you have, I mean, I've seen uh, some interesting work coming out of Toronto. Um, uh, is it Toronto University of Technology or something maybe, or something like that? But then, and then there's Trent and then Laurentian. Yeah, so there are a few more. Um, Windsor has a, a program now in forensics, and uh, UITU the, um, in Oshawa has a program in forensics, um, and they're all kind of at the undergraduate level. And I, di I, I did uh, look into uh, Laurentian's professional base. I think it's a master's program, but don't quote mm -hmm. me on that. Um, it it sounds, in, uh, sounds like, yeah, they are teaching kind of certifications and course level things for professionals. Um, so yeah, I, when I, but uh, 10 years ago when I was originally starting, uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, those programs didn't exist. Uh, so my option was basically Trent, um, I think U University of uh, Toronto, and uh, I was looking at an integrated science program in Carleton. So it wasn't super forensic-y, but it had components in forensics. And um, anyway, so I went to Trent, uh, so I moved up to Peterborough, and I took forensics. And kind of along the way, um, I got into actually working in a, an environmental monitoring lab, and we were working on uh, looking at the way mercury levels kind of are in lake, lake systems, and I got into developing these soil gels, like I was talking about, in order to kind of capture them from lake water systems. So these, hmm. these soil gel materials are really interesting because you can kind of um, tinker with the chemistry and get, it, get them to do lots of different things. So one thing I was doing was trying to get them to, to take suck mercury out of lake waters. And I got are, are really you excited in the, about uh, it. Are you in the synthesis part of it or the analytical part? Someone synthesizes for you and you do the, the analytical after. Uh, yeah, I actually created the material um, right, and then so was involved with the analysis, too. Wow. that's well, Usually, you know, it's, it's uh, as you're aware of, it's usually a multi-team, multi-group. People, you know, do one thing and another. Oh, that, that's cool. You were able to do cradle the grave, if you will. 
Yeah, it was, right. it's kind of neat. The neat thing about Trent is it's a small, it's a smaller university, so you get lots of exposure, uh, doing lots of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so yeah. and that that's that's pretty cool. Now, was this all at the undergraduate, masters, PhD? Where where was this work falling? Oh right, so this was in my undergrad, and uh, I, I this, this was all undergrad. Like <laughs> yeah, wow. it was a fun. No, I, it was a fun undergrad. You know, it's it's un, it's insane. When I met students from Laurentian and UIT, <laughs> uh, and I was looking at their projects, and these were the undergrad or you know students, I was blown right. away by their right. level of research. I've always, and I've, I've said this in other episodes before, I, it, it's so true. Uh, other parts of the world, in Canada, the the um, your bachelors or honors bachelors and masters are like our PhDs sometimes here in the United States. It's kind of okay. sad. Um, it's, it's amazing what, uh, the caliber of research coming out of your universities there compared to the U S which is just, uh, I did a survey online and I did a literature search. Give me a master's degree. Even with, I mean, I went to a you know, humongous university and, um, yeah, undergrads, they, we didn't do that kind of level. We weren't involved in the synthesis of stuff. Uh, like Glenn was kind of saying there, you know, other like the postdocs got to make the stuff and then we just kind of got to test it out and see see how it worked for different applications so that's that's fantastic that you got to get involved so early with that yeah it was really fun i think it kind of speaks to um networking and and meeting real professionals too like quite early in your career which was really beneficial for me so how did all that translate from from the capturing mercury to this blood application I know. So the story does get better. And, <laughs> um, and this might be as uh, slightly exaggerated, but this is the best way that I like to hey, explain. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, I had really got into uh, environmental chemistry and uh, I was just about to kind of drop out of forensics. It wasn't, uh, I know I had an interest in other fields and um, I was taking a crime scene investigation course at the time. And I was being taught by Mike Gillis. And Glenn, I think you may know Mike. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, he uh, he sent. I got this email one one day that was like, "Hi Teresa, can you like meet me in my office? Want to discuss something at five? And I'm like, "Oh great! Like, what did I do? Did I plagiarize? Oh no, I'm freaking out because <laughs> you know at the time he was." Um, uh, a, a staff sergeant with the Ontario Provincial Police, so go to his office and whatever I did, I'm so sorry. He's like, I'm just trying to offer sorry you. Sorry about that. Oh. <laughs> sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, sorry about it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> just want to offer you a job. I'm like, oh, well, instantly relax. Well, that's great. This is really cool. So, uh, for two summers, uh, I worked uh, under um, uh, Mike uh, at the Ontario Provincial Police as a research scientist, and I started doing research on blood stain pattern analysis, and that was great. Like that was a completely uh, pivotal point for me. And Mike is a such a great mentor, uh, and it just got me completely hooked onto the field and everything from from uh, like in research about pattern identification and the mechanisms mm-hmm. and just what's going on in, in blood stain pattern analysis really captivated me. And that kind of was a pivotal point for me in, in getting into, into research and in blood stains. And, uh, then that translated to, uh, to eventually, uh, I met Michael Taylor through Mike and oh, uh, yeah. he was looking for a master's. Yeah. So that's how I met Nikki and, yeah. Um, I went to New Zealand and did my master's there and then my project was basically making and thinking about validating uh, or making testing procedures for validating synthetic blood substitutes or forensic blood substitutes for research and training. And so that's kind of where the idea kind of like brewed and and grew from and uh, it's really important I always emphasize with people when they're using blood substitutes or they're making a homemade product or something. Um, to, to make sure that you have some sort of validation or some scientific backing to the product um, because 
depending on what you do uh, with it, if you want to make it drip a certain way or spot her a certain way, uh, it should be validated in some way to, to whole human blood or a blood analog. Right, right, sure. Wow, okay, so, and then you ended up doing your master's there in Auckland with Michael Taylor's group? Yeah, yeah, so it was in Auckland. Uh, I did all my research down in Christchurch uh, with him, mm -hmm. and uh, it was such a such a fantastic time. Um, the, it was such an eye-opener, too, to just see how different uh, forensics is in, between Canada and New Zealand. Um, and also me kind how, of the staff. How so? and such a, uh, I thought uh, most of most of our forensics is uh, kind of conducted by police uh, here and in some sort of capacity with the police organizations where in New Zealand most of it is civilian based. Uh, mm -hmm. So I found that very interesting. Um, I thought it was really neat that in New Zealand because it's such a small country um, and there's only a, a limited number of uh, trained crime scene investigators that, that they could really go anywhere to process a scene. So some of them would be flown to uh, the other side of the island to process a scene. And I thought that was really interesting because they had such a broad, like, geographical range. So they saw lots of different, sure. different I guess, scenes. Uh, so, and then you end up getting your master's there. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I got my master's uh in yeah in Auckland and and now you're back at Trent yes yeah, so that I could not get away from Trent <laughs> <laughs> um no actually what you know the story is better I guess but uh anyway uh when I was in New Zealand and I was thinking a lot about these testing protocols on testing uh, blood substitutes uh, I was always in the back of my mind had this idea that the, the soul gel, these soul gel materials are, are, even though they're typically used for things like um, in any sort of thin film coatings, like uh, things that, I, I don't know, like you can spray it kind of on anything. Most of them are created for corrosion protection, but they make these thin films and blood scene pattern analysis, basically when blood is deposited on a surface, it creates a thin film. Mm -hmm. So I found that there's a lot of overlap in kind of the mechanisms and the chemistries behind both of the disciplines. So I thought this would be a really neat adventure uh, to pursue building a soul gel material that could be used uh, as, a, as a, a blood simulant for crime scene investigation. So it was a neat kind of blend of both worlds. Right. Okay. So the the development of these did that happen here after your masters and you're back at Trent? Is is that where that happened? Yeah, it happened at Trent. Okay. And well, I mean, did you end up getting a PhD out of all this? Because you, you better have. I mean, for all the work you put into this, <laughs> you really should have a PhD PhD out of this. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, actually, I'm a fresh graduate, so I graduated at the end of January. All right. Well, thank God. Good. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Still waiting for the prescription pad with the designation ah. of doctor. Oh. But... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, then we should give you your proper title, Doctor Stotesbury. I, I didn't. That's I didn't know, and that's that's good. I'm I'm I mean I'm just listening to how much work you put into this, and I thought, my God, if she if she ends up with not that there's anything wrong with it, but just a master's out of all this work uh, that, you know, I, it just compared to what I see again, some people in the United States getting, you know, their degrees. I mean, uh, okay. So I'm, I'm happy. All is right again. Okay. Um, and now that you're back at the university, what are you doing? Um, now that you've got this great, you know, um, blood substitute that you can sell i assume you guys have a patent at least submitted what are you guys doing with this what what's next and what's your uh, what's your next steps okay so we uh, we are commercializing our material um, we basically have decided that we've formed a research group called impact scientific and uh, we are creating uh, lots of uh, materials for uh, training and also uh, interestingly enough high school education so, um, hmm. oh, yeah. yeah, so we noticed, uh, I found this really interesting paper in, um, an education journal that said that out of, it was a study conducted in 2016 and, uh, out of 400 
and seven, I think, students interviewed, they asked about a bunch of different professions and they asked the students, do you think that these, these professions require uh, math and science to do their, your career? And one of them was a forensic analyst. And uh, they reported that, I think it was something like 40% of students that were asked were unsure, and 29% of the students uh, said, no, you don't need math and science to become a forensic uh, analyst. And it kind of blew my mind. I thought, well, we need to change this, this perception, uh, because there's, obviously you need lots of math and science to become a forensic analyst. So we took, um, basically, uh, the dripping experiment. So uh, in order to do a basic blood stain course and get certified, one of the experiments that uh, that practicing uh, blood stain pattern analysts will do is look at the way the, the size and the shape of a blood stain changes with increased dripping height or impact velocity. And normally the stains get bigger, right? And you get lots of little or edge characteristics like spines and scallops, those numbers increase with increased impact velocity. And they get into this idea that, um, that you know, it, it, everything grows until the droplet reaches terminal velocity. So we kind of took mm -hmm. that experiment and condensed it down to a grade 11, grade 12, uh, high school level. Um, and have been going, I've been, part of my month of mayhem has been going out to high schools and uh, demonstrating the kit either to in a classroom full of students uh, or with, with high school teachers. Um, and it's been going over really well. But in a friend, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. It's, it's neat to kind of blow that myth uh, that, you know, crime scene investigation is so glamorous and, and you know, it's like <laughs> the Hollywood, the Hollywood uh, kind of facade. Uh, right. it's, it's neat to show students that um, like this is a serious and re a relevant career option that that you could take if you keep science and math and engineering and things like that in your future. Do, do you, yeah. you guys let them play with like a, like a hammer and, uh, and do some spatter? Well, I'm a little, I, we were a little bit nervous. Well, I was mostly <laughs> nervous about the blood, guts and gore. So uh, with with students, so we basically just have them making uh, circular passive drip stains with a little pipette. So I'm sure some of them really want to, but uh, we kept it pretty kosher. Okay. Oh uh, yeah, you just just get out onto the football field, right? And uh, you know, um, uh, maybe maybe some sort of portable tent device to maybe keep it a little contained or off, you know, anyone's clothes or something. But uh, yeah, they'd have a probably have a field day with that. They'd uh, they would love it. Yeah, it, it's been going over really well. So one of the things that I uh, I think Nikki had told me about was that you guys had added um, uh, probably fluorophores in some way to your um, your molecules, and that uh, by adding these fluoro fluorescent tags to it, you could change um, you know the wavelength of emission so that you get certain colors. So some of your blood substitutes could under you know um under an alternate light source would might uh you know uh emit and appear red some might appear yellow or orange which allowed you guys to differentiate which blood uh, droplets came from which impact patterns is, is that right yeah and this is actually something um i think is really important uh to pass out to uh, your audience so I'll talk yeah, about let's, it now. Let's, but, yeah, let's um, talk about it. I yeah. found that absolutely ingenious. Yeah, so yeah, I would love to talk about this in depth. Okay, so analyzing complex blood stain patterns uh, can be quite difficult, right? And, and especially when you have patterns overlapping and, um, and it's... Because all the blood looks the same. It's, all the blood looks the same, exactly. And uh, what's even more difficult, and just through conversations with uh, blood stain analysts at different conferences or just uh, through contacts, uh, it's always very difficult to, to sometimes get someone, to train someone in, in disentangling complex blood stain patterns. So how, how, to, how do you tell someone there's lots of impacts here, or you know, how, do, like how can we start teasing out sequencing and, and things like that. So, uh, our research group thought a lot about um, uh, disentangling these complex patterns and, and how uh, we could, 
how we could kind of address that as an issue in training. And the beauty of building artificial fluids or building blood substitutes is that you can really add anything you want to these things as long as they're behaving the way they should be. Um, and I guess behaving like blood. So we thought, well, uh, there's a center for teacher and learning at Trent and they work a lot on spatial reasoning. And uh, mm -hmm. through conversations uh, with, with them, uh, we learned that uh, you can disentangle complex spatial um, kind of images through color. So that's one of one thing that, that can help a person learn and kind of understand and figure out what's going on. So we thought, well, Amazing. well, this is easy. Why don't we put colors into these blood substitutes? So our original thing was for, for complex blood stain patterns, let's put some colors in there and then we can, you know, you can make a yellow impact pattern, a red impact pattern, a green one, a blue one. And you can play with things like creating multiple impact patterns at the same area of origin. So you can see how uh, what's really important to say when you know when you're testifying or, or or writing about is saying a minimum of one impact because the physics you can have multiple impacts at the same point in space but when you're doing your trajectory analysis or coming back to that area of origin it's not going to tell you how many impacts were there it's just going to tell you in a, a three-dimensional coordinate in space where that blood source was but it gets the point across that hey these stains all look the same even though they were made from multiple impact events at the same area of origin. Yeah. Um, and you can, it's, it's quite interesting and you can, we do things too, like you can move, uh, so move kind of the X value, we call the X value, and that's the distance of the blood source uh, from the wall. You can move that back out and that changes uh, a lot of the shape characteristics of the blood stain so that that ellipse that you'd see. Um, and mm -hmm. it shows how the patterns change with, with changing axes or, or distances from the wall um, in all with the same kind of Y and Z, Y being the distance from a fixed point in space, so left or right, I guess, on a wall, and Z being the height value. Uh, so it's really neat to look in color and you can really start in, in training pro programs, start looking at these blood stains and, and start picking out limitations or picking out learning points to talk about with, with uh, students. And um, uh, what is it that would activate the, the colors? What specifically you know, um, will, will cause it to fluoresce glow or whatever? Right. So the ones that I was just talking about, uh, they're, they're colors in white light. So we just add different dyes. Uh, but yeah, we took it one step further by saying, all right, well, we all bleed the same color. So you, you need the next point in learning. Uh, uh, and so we created these substitutes where, um, yeah, they're all red and white light. And then we've added phosphorescent powders into them. Um, and they actually, they'll, they'll um, emit, they'll glow at different colors when you kind of shine UV light on, on them. Cool, yeah, that's, wow. I mean, that, that to me is just amazing because then, you know, I, having gone through these kind of practicals, you sit there for hours and hours and you, you determine your, your, your point of origin and the mechanisms creating these different patterns. And then of course you debrief and watch the video that someone made of making those patterns. And that's the traditional way of learning. Oh, okay, so you got hit three times and you can see that happen and you know, and, and, and but the way that you described it allows for such a, a visual mechanic of seeing which stains came from which impact and which mechanism. And maybe, you know, uh, it, it, maybe in a realistic, you know, like a homicide scene, you know, the, the adrenaline's up. Those first few hits are maybe, you know, the most forceful. And then perhaps the force starts dropping off because they've been wrestling or, um, you know, it, it's hard beating someone's death. And so maybe those last blows don't have this, the same energy energy so you can see what happens to the stains and you can see with these colors aha these are from different ones and they reacted differently that must be just mind-blowing to see that kind of reveal at the end oh it's just so fantastic and we're doing a lot of research now to kind of quantify and or we're, we're hoping to do a lot of research right now to quantify and qualify the learning from this and and also engagement and perceived benefits of the technology 
but uh, sure. another thing it's just so fantastic because we uh what we do is we do a lot of learning off off images so uh, I'll actually photograph these complex blood stain patterns uh, in, when they're glowing in the dark. So then uh, trainers can go in and work off the image so you can blow up these patterns uh, if you're using some sort of, I don't know, digital projector or something like that, or maybe every student can actually go on, go on their computer and actually zoom in and out of uh, these, these patterns. And you're right, look at, this, look at particular stains or certain areas in the pattern um, where, where they want to figure out, okay, well, this came from this mechanism, this came from this mechanism, and how does this, how is this going to help me when I go in to start processing my scenes? And what I think is so neat, I had this really uh, interesting pattern where I think I made something like an impact um, pattern and say something that glowed uh, blue, like a dark blue, and then right after it in sequence, I put some orange. Uh, orange of the synthetic and made a, a, a handprint or a contact transfer and kind of not only the, the transfer but also uh, wiped the blood across that pattern and so you can see the blending of the mm. colors and it's so interesting to start thinking about those mechanisms but the kind of further point of that learning is now you can start adding different components of your, your crime scene analysis so what are you going to do with blood well you're probably going to swab some areas to figure out who the bleeders are and visually, when you see these mixings, like it, it helps maybe start spark thinking about, okay, well, where are appropriate areas that perhaps I should be swabbing from or uh, thinking about analyzing further? Right. Yep. So have you guys uh, discussed or thought about adding amino acids? to your um uh, you know to your blood substitute which could open up a whole series of um dye stains being applied to them and other kinds of um uh, visual inspections that crime scene investigators have to do as well uh that that's a great question um so right now uh one of our fillers in our newest products uh has an iron additive in it and so it will is will oh, react with peroxidase based reagents uh, uh, sure. So we're actually Luke in the process of having a master's student. Yeah, and luminol, um, which is yeah. fantastic. So we have a master's student trying to optimize that. Uh, and yeah, and you can imagine then the next thing is to add amino acids in. We also have, uh, we're as also researching right now adding DNA into our fluid uh, to oh, use it wow. for training or use it even as like a lab standard. So no longer do you have to use someone's blood, I guess, as a control. Maybe you can use sure. ours. Uh, yeah, so it's been, it's really neat uh, because the, the material is so versatile that you can add lots of things into it to get it to do all these little bit of, bit of, of enhancements. But because we're all scientists and researchers, these things take so much time because we, you know, we, we care so much about the details and making sure that everything is, mm -hmm. well, you guys too, right? But making sure the details are, are all, all, all there and all the, the tick boxes are checked. So we like, we decided that we'd keep uh, everything in, in this, this program or a research program for research. So anything that comes in, if people are buying the material or, um, using it for their training courses, uh, anything that you know they can contribute back to us will feed into uh, building the material to be even, even I guess, stronger in a, in a forensic relevance. Uh, does it have an expiration date or degradation? Is it kept at room temperature? I mean, those are the things I'm thinking about with blood. You always have to, you know, worry about those kinds of issues. But anything like that with this is pretty stable. Yeah, uh, so I can tell you a little bit first about um, why we, the motivation behind making the, the synthetic blood substitutes. Um, for sometimes, as I mentioned, it's difficult to source uh, blood sometimes and get it into labs. Sometimes it's difficult to obtain the ethics approval to actually, you know, again, bring a biological fluid into to your lab. Um, sure. But working with blood is really tricky because you have to keep it at a physiological temperature, so 37 degrees, um, and our blood is meant to clot uh, when it's exposed to oxygen. So that's why we have anticoagulants in blood, um, and it's sometimes hard. Yeah, it has a very limited lifespan when you're working with it. So I think we use we'll use it for around two weeks, no more than that. But we try to do everything within the day that the day or two that we actually obtain the blood. Um, and what's great about 
Uh, oh, and also the red blood cells will hemolyze and break up and the properties of the blood will change over time mm -hmm. with age. And there's some research that, that show that uh, in the literature, um, which is quite really interesting to actually to go on and read. Um, so yeah, so our material, it's uh, stable at room temperature, which is fantastic. Um, and uh, I've had some of our material spinning uh, and remain liquid for over a year. But we've only really oh, been wow. testing things for a month long. Yeah, it's it's quite exciting. Um, so I've only really been testing for things in month-long timescales. Um, but what's kind of neat, too, about our materials is that they can be rehydrated, too. So they, although they're catered to dry and simulate drying and clotting of blood, uh, you can kind of rehydrate them, too, to get them to stay in the liquid <laughs> form. That's so cool. So cool. It can do anything. No, but it's so like <laughs> it's so exciting. But now I need to go in and 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 uh, get these numbers. So, like we've simulated clotting and simulating drying, and now we need to go in and into the research more deep, like more deeply, and figure out well what's the mechanism of the drying and the polymerization. So it, it's it's uh, it's should be a really lifelong project, and I think that that's so exciting, and it would be neat to have more yeah. people involved and working on it um so yeah I, i'm really quite proud and excited of the pro uh, with the project uh, so along those lines uh you know it, it seems to be you know just like you said it started with this you know mercury removal from lakes and now it's a you know a uh, a blood simulant um what what other you know things you know do you imagine this salt gel uh, you know, might be able to be utilized for, you know, in, in forensics specifically? Oh, great question. So remember how I was telling you guys that we could put uh, DNA into the material or we're just working on that? Right, right. Well, the next kind of extension to that is using it as an environmental modeling or monitoring tool. So you can have the DNA or you can bind it to the, to the colloids and put it into these lake water systems or any other systems and, and get... Uh, specific markers to kind of figure out well, what species of wildlife or uh, I guess in other oh, wow. yeah, situations, uh, I guess depending on the environment that you put it in, what DNA is out there from and what from what source. And I think that kind of, uh, yeah, that, that's the next kind of thing, I guess, for us that could be really interesting and has like a broader outreach to not only forensics, but things like environmental monitoring and... Right. And, uh, you can like monitor for invasive species or uh yeah you could really open up a lot of stuff with oh it'd be so fantastic so that's our pipe dream at the moment um so we're still working on it uh but that would be really nice. that's where the real money is not forensics <laughs> exactly. yeah you know i must say it is quite difficult for us up here in the great white to find funding for forensics um we're we're quite limited, but we still managed to get by. <laughs> so, Teresa, just uh, curious, will we see you at the IAI? Will you be peddling your wares there? Will you be getting a booth? And because uh, obviously that's a great conference, the International Association for Identification <laughs> Conference, uh, because there's so many uh, bloodstain pattern analysts that go there for training and some of the you know world's renowned experts. That would seem like a great place to market this uh, this product. I wish, Glenn. I'm really sorry. I had to choose between that or the IFS conference in Toronto. And uh, uh -huh. I am actually giving, uh, along with Mike and uh, another colleague with the Ontario Provincial Police, we are giving a workshop on what I've been talking to you about with the colored uh, blood substitutes, the glow-in-the-dark blood substitutes, sure. and other pedagogical like technologies and blood stains uh, at that conference sure. in Toronto this summer. Well, so that conference is every three years, which means we'll see you at the next two IAIs then. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, uh, Teresa, thank you so much for, for coming on the Double Loop podcast with us. Um, it's really interesting topic and, and exciting to, to discuss kind of where where these things are heading. And, and uh, I don't know about Glenn, but my mind's kind of spinning with possibilities of, Absolutely. of, of Absolutely. where this kind of stuff might lead. Oh, thanks. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thank you so much for for coming on, and um, we'll have to you know send a special thanks to Nikki for um, you know for suggesting that you come on and and uh, uh, you know making making this all kind of happen uh, today. So, Teresa, before we let you go here, uh, can you talk about some of any of the upcoming training that you have either well 
training that you've already done internationally, or maybe even training that might be coming up that listeners, if they're, if they want to get involved in this or see this product in use and training courses, where can they go to take some workshops or how can they get a hold of you to maybe bring you and your crew, uh, if they want to host a workshop or training event? All right, so we uh, were contacted uh, from a program that was running a, a, a blood sync course in Algeria. Uh, so Liz Williams and Rebecca Book uh, contacted me, and they had they had seen we we put out a paper um, in the Forensic Science Policy and Management Journal that talked and, and discussed a little bit about the colored blood substitutes, the glow in the dark blood substitutes, and how. Um, and kind of a, very briefly how spatial reasoning works and how this could be a really valuable tool in training. Uh, so they had contacted us about uh, bringing in some of our technologies into their training course. And what was quite neat about their uh, training course is that they took a, a, a 40 hour course and, and completed it over the course of three weeks. And they did this basically to get more hands-on training and more kind of mentorship in their training. Um, and so what we did, yeah, so we made some, some patterns, uh, some colored patterns for them. We gave them some of the uh, material to make their own colored blood. And then we implemented, or we, we gave them some blood stain patterns that were all red in the white light, some complex patterns, and that glowed in the dark. And so like uh, I'd mentioned, we, we got them to kind of work off the images and uh, kind of look at the glow in the dark patterns. Um, and, and I, apparently the feedback was quite positive. So I wasn't at the training course, but uh, I did supply uh, the training materials or a research group did, which is quite interesting. And it was so neat to kind of beta test that technology in an actual training course. Uh, so there was some pretty good positive feedback about that. And I think you're right. I think that you, when you see these patterns in color and, or in the glow in the dark, you just get this wow moment where uh, you can learning starts and discussions kind of kind of spawn from that so that was quite exciting um someone wants to get in touch with you about any kind of this stuff right so uh we're going to be hopefully running a workshop down at the ibpa uh, conference in, in september in redondo beach uh so uh hopefully stay tuned for that so if any bloodstream pattern analysts or anyone going to that conference make sure to 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 touch base with me there um, you can reach, uh, you can look at what we're doing in our, in our bloodstained world by looking at www.impactscientific.ca and uh, you can either get a hold of me there or you can contact me uh, at Trent University. Um, so you can contact me at Teresa Stotes at trentu.ca and I would be happy to help with any sort of um, questions that you have or trying to get uh, forensic blood substitutes into your research and training. I love collaborating and I think it's so powerful when you have practitioners and academics pairing together um, to kind of figure out more about forensics and provide answers to lots of different questions. So uh, make sure to feel free to contact me uh, there. I would love to talk to you. So that's awesome. All right. Thank you again so much, Teresa. Uh, you can always, as, um, as always, contact myself, Eric, at rayforensics.com or Glenn at Glenn at eliteforensicservices.com. And then keep listening on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or on iTunes, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Have a good week.